Part 2, Chapter 5 of Home Education Series, Volume 1, Home Education. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Home Education Series, Volume 1, Home Education, by Charlotte Mason. Part 2, Chapter 5, Living Creatures. A FIELD OF INTEREST AND DELIGHT Then, as for the living creatures, here is a field of unbounded interest and delight. The domesticated animals are soon taken into kindly fellowship by the little people. Perhaps they live too far from the real country for squirrels and wild rabbits to be more to them than a dream of possible delights. But surely there is a pond within reach, by road or rail, where tadpoles may be caught and carried home in a bottle, fed and watched through all their changes, fins disappearing, tails getting shorter and shorter, until at last there is no tail at all, and a pretty pert little frog looks you in the face. Turn up any chance stone, and you may come upon a colony of ants. We have always known that it becomes us to consider their ways and be wise, but now think of all Lord Avebury has told us to make that twelve-year-old aunt of his acquaintance quite a personage. Then there are the bees. Some of us may have heard the late Dean Farrer describe that lesson he was present at on How doth the little busy bee? The teacher bright, but the children not responsive. They took no interest at all in the little busy bees. He suspected the reason, and, questioning the class, found that not one of them had ever seen a bee. "'Had never seen a bee. "'Think for a moment,' said he, "'of how much that implies.' "'And then we were moved by an eloquent picture "'of the sad child-life "'from which bees and birds and flowers "'are all shut out. "'But how many children are there "'who do not live in the slums of London "'and yet are unable to distinguish a bee from a wasp, "'or even a humble from a honey-bee? "'Children should be encouraged to watch.' Children should be encouraged to watch, patiently and quietly, until they learn something of the habits and history of bee, ant, wasp, spider, hairy caterpillar, dragonfly, and whatever of larger growth comes in their way. The creatures never have any habits while I am looking, a little girl in some story-book is made to complain, but that was her fault. The bright keen eyes with which children are blessed were made to see, and see into, the doings of creatures too small for the unaided observation of older people. Ants may be brought under home observation in the following way. Get two pieces of glass one foot square, three strips of glass eleven and a half inches long, and one strip eleven inches long, all these one quarter inch wide. The glass must be carefully cut so as to fit exactly. Place the four strips of glass upon one of the sheets of glass, and fix in an exact square, leaving a half-inch opening, with secotine or any good fixer. Get from an ant hill about twelve ants. The yellow ants are best, as the red are inclined to be quarrelsome. A few eggs and one queen. The queen will be quite twice as large as an ordinary ant, and so can easily be seen. Take some of the earth of the ant hill. Put the earth with your ants and eggs upon the sheet of glass, and fix the other sheet above, leaving only the small hole in one corner, made by the shorter strip, which should be stopped with a bit of cotton wool. The ants will be restless for perhaps forty-eight hours, but will then begin to settle and arrange the earth. 
remove the wool plug once a week, and replace it after putting two or three drops of honey on it. Once in three weeks remove the plug to drop in with a syringe about ten drops of water. This will not be necessary in the winter while the ants are asleep. This nest will last for years. With regard to the horror which some children show of beetle, spider, worm, that is usually a trick picked up from grown-up people. Kingsley's children would run after their daddy with a delicious worm, a lovely toad, a sweet beetle, carried tenderly in both hands. There are real antipathies not to be overcome, such as Kingsley's own horror of a spider, but children who are accustomed to hold and admire caterpillars and beetles from their babyhood will not give way to affected horrors. The child who spends an hour in watching the ways of some new grub he has come upon will be a man of mark yet. Let all he finds out about it be entered in his diary, by his mother, if writing be a labour to him, where he finds it, what it is doing, or seems to him to be doing, its colour, shape, legs. Some day he will come across the name of the creature, and will recognise the description of an old friend. THE FORCE OF PUBLIC OPINION IN THE HOME Some children are born naturalists, with a bent inherited, perhaps, from an unknown ancestor. But every child has a natural interest in the living things about him, which it is the business of his parents to encourage. For but few children are equal to holding their own in the face of public opinion, and if they see that the things which interest them are indifferent or disgusting to you, their pleasure in them vanishes, and that chapter in the book of nature is closed to them. It is likely that the natural history of Selborne would never have been written had it not been that the naturalist's father used to take his boys on daily foraging expeditions, when not a moving or growing thing, not a pebble nor a boulder within miles of Selborne, escaped their eager examination. Audubon, the American ornithologist, is another instance of the effect of this kind of early training. "'When I had hardly learned to walk,' he says, and to articulate those first words always so endearing to parents, the productions of nature that lay spread all around were constantly pointed out to me. My father generally accompanied my steps, procured birds and flowers for me, and pointed out the elegant movements of the former, the beauty and softness of their plumage, the manifestations of their pleasure, or their sense of danger, and the always perfect forms and splendid attire of the latter.' He would speak of the departure and return of the birds with the season, describe their haunts, and, more wonderful than all, their change of livery, thus exciting me to study them, and to raise my mind towards their great Creator. WHAT TOWN CHILDREN CAN DO Town children may get a great deal of pleasure in watching the ways of sparrows, knowing little birds, and easily tamed by a dole of crumbs, and their days out will bring them in the way of new acquaintances but much may be done with sparrows. A friend writes, "'Have you seen the man in the gardens of the Tuileries feeding and talking to dozens of them? They sit on his hat, his hands, and feed from his fingers. When he raises his arms they all flutter up and then settle again on him and round him. I have watched him call a sparrow from a distance by name, and refuse food to all others until Petit Chou, a pretty pied sparrow, came for his destined bit.' Others had their names and came at call, but I could not see any distinguishing feature, and the crowd of sparrows on the walk, benches, and railing 
formed a most attentive audience to the bright French talk, which kept them in constant motion as they were, here one and there another, invited to come for a tempting morsel. Truly a St. Francis and the birds! The child who does not know the portly form and spotted breast of the thrush, the graceful flight of the swallow, the yellow bill of the blackbird, the gush of song which the skylark pours from above, is nearly as much to be pitied as those London children who had never seen a bee. A pleasant acquaintance, easy to pick up, is the hairy caterpillar. The moment to seize him is when he is seen shuffling along the ground in a great hurry. He is on the lookout for quiet quarters in which to lie up. Put him in a box, then, and cover the box with net, through which you may watch his operations. Food does not matter. He has other things to attend to. By and by he spins a sort of white tent or hammock into which he retires. You may see through it, and watch him, perhaps at the very moment when his skin splits asunder, leaving him, for months to come, an egg-shaped mass without any sign of life. At last the living thing within breaks out of this bundle, and there it is, the handsome tiger-moth, fluttering feeble wings against the net. Most children of six have had this taste of a naturalist's experience, and it is worth speaking of only because, instead of being merely a harmless amusement, it is a valuable piece of education, of more use to the child than the reading of a whole book of natural history, or much geography and Latin. For the evil is that children get their knowledge of natural history, like all their knowledge, at second hand. They are so sated with wonders that nothing surprises them, and they are so little used to see for themselves that nothing interests them. The cure for this blasé condition is to let them alone for a bit, and then begin on new lines. Poor children, it is no fault of theirs if they are not as they were meant to be, curious, eager little souls, all agog to explore so much of this wonderful world as they can get at, as quite their first business in life." He prayeth best who loveth best, all things both great and small. For the dear God who loveth us, he made and loveth all. Nature Knowledge the Most Important for Young Children It would be well, if all we persons in authority, parents, and all who act for parents, could make up our minds that there is no sort of knowledge to be got in these early years so valuable to children as that which they get for themselves of the world they live in. Let them once get touch with nature, and a habit is formed, which will be a source of delight through life. We were all meant to be naturalists, each in his degree, and it is inexcusable to live in a world so full of the marvels of plant and animal life, and to care for none of these things. MENTAL TRAINING OF A CHILD NATURALIST Consider, too, what an unequalled mental training the child naturalist is getting for any study or calling under the sun— the powers of attention, of discrimination, of patient pursuit, growing with his growth, what will they not fit him for? Besides, life is so interesting to him that he has no time for the faults of temper which generally have their source in ennui. There is no reason why he should be peevish or sulky or obstinate when he is always kept well amused. Nature Work Especially Valuable for Girls I say he, from force of habit, as speaking of the representative sex, but truly that she should be thus conversant with nature is a matter of infinitely more importance to the little girl. She it is who is most tempted to indulge in ugly tempers, as child and woman, because time hangs heavy on her hands. 
she whose idler more desultory habits of mind want the spur and the bridle of an earnest absorbing pursuit whose feebler health demands to be braced by an out-of-door life full of healthy excitement moreover it is to the girls little and big a most true kindness to lift them out of themselves and out of the round of petty personal interests and emulations which too often hem in their lives and then with whom but the girls must it rest to mould the generations yet to be born end of part 2 chapter 5 read by kara schallenberg www.kray.org on friday september 2nd 2016 in union city california